0: Welcome, everyone, to the RJOS podcast. I hope everyone has been enjoying the season thus far. On this episode, we have a fantastic interview with Dr. Deborah Fabian. Dr. Fabian's story is unique in that she is not only a successful orthopedic surgeon, but also someone who is a male to female transgender person. Of note, she made her transition at the age of 62. It was a very inspiring conversation and I'm truly appreciative of Dr. Fabian's openness and willingness to share her story. I hope you enjoy this episode of the RJOS Podcast with Dr. Deborah Fabian. Dr. Deborah Fabian, thank you so much for joining us on the RJOS podcast. I am so excited to speak with you today, and I sincerely thank you for spending the time with us today. My pleasure. So I would love for you to talk about your background, where you went to medical school, residency, fellowship, and your post-fellowship years.
1: Okay. I graduated William & Mary College in 71, and Went to Hahnemann Medical College in Philadelphia, which is now merged with uh, Drexel, so Hahnemann mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Uh, graduated there in 75 and uh, went up to Dartmouth, uh, to Mary Hitchcock Hospital, Dartmouth Hitchcock program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was there for two years. Uh, I had been drafted back during college, uh, so I got pulled out of residency and served three years as a uh, uh, general medical officer oh, in wow. the Navy. Uh, I was stationed with the Marines at Camp Pendleton for three mm-hmm. years, uh, then came back out of that and finished my residency at, uh, at Dartmouth mm-hmm. uh, in 83 and went to private practice at that point. So wow. uh, no fellowships involved. Uh, back in, 80, in the 80s, they weren't such a big deal. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of my friends didn't do one at that point. But. Wow. So I've been in practice uh I was in a uh, group practice of about six of us for 20 plus years, and Mm -hmm. a number of reasons I left that practice. Uh, started my own practice out in Western Massachusetts uh, for uh, seven or eight years, during which time I transitioned, but I uh, uh, went to work for the Army at Fort Mm -hmm. Polk, Louisiana, which was... um, I won't say how I felt about that, but it turned out to be a pretty good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then about two years ago, I started working for the Indian Health Service in Gallup, New Mexico, which is where I am right now.
0: Wow, fantastic. When was the first moment you knew you wanted to pursue orthopedic surgery?
1: Um, it takes a little explaining, but uh, my <laughs> our main uh, clinical year in medical school was sophomore year, second year. Mm-hmm. And I had done uh, a 12-week rotation in, inter- in internal medicine, which w- I knew was not my thing. And then I did six weeks of uh, psychiatry, and I knew that wasn't my thing. Right. And then I had my six-week vacation, uh, which our vacations were uh, spread around that year. So I went to work for the plumber, who I had worked through all through high school and college.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and my first day on the job... He gave me a truck and a uh, a jackhammer and an air compressor and said, go dig up uh, the frozen water line in this doctor's yard. And this was, it was cold, uh, cold (laughs) enough to freeze a a pipe uh, six feet underground. So I went there and I started uh, digging this up and the doctor came home at lunch Mm -hmm. and uh, turned out he was an orthopedic surgeon. Oh, uh, And... uh, I didn't care what he was working with him was going to be better than what I was doing. True. Uh, so, uh, I asked him if I could work with him. He said, I can't pay you, but, uh, sure. So I started working with him and I worked uh, with him for about five weeks and partway through that, he broke his elbow. And so I was his hands and wow. uh, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And, uh, at that point decided that's what I wanted to do.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Who were your most memorable mentors in medical school as well as residency?
1: I was trying to think of mentors in medical school, and frankly, nobody came to mind. (laughs) Uh, uh, However, in in residency, um, uh, I had had several. It was a very small program at that point. There were two docs per year, two residents Mm -hmm. per year. There were only five staff working there.
0: Wow! And
1: each of those five really uh, gave me something to think about. Gave me they were mentors, uh, particularly uh, Mike Mayer, who mm-hmm. I actually talked to we, not, about a year ago. He he was and still is incredibly impressive. Uh, he would had a high AK amp as a child, and oh wow! Didn't let that stop him one bit, and mm. uh, he was gentle and yet um, very demanding of, mm-hmm. of, of, us and what we did. And, uh, he was, he's probably the single biggest, uh, uh, mentor I had, but the other docs who were there, you know, such a small program, we knew each other pretty well. Uh, uh, I can name them: Bob Porter. The chief was, uh, uh, Pete Hall and Tom Sheriffs was a great guy. We, mm-hmm. um, and another guy, Phil Bernini, uh, and I, I can't, other than Mike, they were equally, um, instructive and I loved, absolutely loved my residency.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Um, well, Dr. Fabian, this season of the RJOS podcast, um, highlights surgeons who have taken the road, less traveled during their orthopedic career. And your unique path is the fact that you are a successful surgeon who just so happens to be a male to female transgender person. And I was hoping that you can tell us the story of your transition, the beginning, the middle, as well as the end.
1: Well, hopefully you haven't reached the end yet. Um, <laughs> but but uh, I, mean, I have fully transitioned. Um, I, mean, I People ask me, when did I first know? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, back when I was young, uh, when I was born in 1949 there were not terms for this. Uh, there were right. very derogatory terms. Uh, but um, I mean, I knew something wasn't right, uh, although I was able to suppress it uh, for most of my career, most of my life. Uh, although I was uh, suffering with depression for much of right. it. Uh, my, the beginning of the real transition back in um, oh, I think it was mid 80s 86 or 87 I started seeing a therapist who specialized in transgender uh, issues, and uh, she was the first person who allowed me to start thinking that i'm not I'm not crazy uh, right and I, and maybe more importantly, I'm not disgusting like a number of people had thought. Uh, so mm-hmm. that was probably the beginning of my transition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the real beginning uh was meeting my wife. Uh uh my current, I, I I was married before and that was not working out. Mm-hmm. Uh but my current wife uh and over the years she would see me um have uh, be able to cross dress but then mm-hmm. when that episode was over I just got increasingly depressed. So, right. back in about 2009, uh, uh, we'd been married, I don't know, 20 years about at oh. that point. Congratulations. Said, Thank you. Yeah, we're coming up on 30. Oh. Uh, she said to me, You are miserable. You're making me miserable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to do something about it. And we had talked about it, but I never thought I could do it. So, mm-hmm. at her urging, um, I went to see an endocrinologist and started the process. So that's maybe the real beginning, uh, mm-hmm. physically. Um, but uh, I uh, I can't tell you how ashamed I was of myself up, right. up to about that point. Uh, so the process has been largely about becoming okay with myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, she's actually written a pretty good book on her her path, um, through all of this. So, but I, on, um, uh, I, I can give you the date, October 26th, 2011. Mm-hmm. I was in charge of the, um, the speech as a speaker for an ethics committee meeting. Um, so I said, yeah, what better time than me giving a talk? So I transitioned on that date and showed oh, up wow. as me. And so that was the, maybe the middle uh, and like I said, we haven't reached the end, but I, the, a big part of it for me was getting over the sense that I'm disgusting, which is mm-hmm. what a lot of people had told me and, and, uh, getting over the embarrassment. Um, uh, I mean, it was, it was touch and go right at first, whether I could even walk in my office door. Uh, but, uh, I mean, here I am eight, eight and a half years later, and this is just me. So, right. I mean, uh, I, uh, my wife and I give a lot of talks to various groups, medical stu- schools, and uh, so I am totally out. I am totally okay with myself. So that that may be the end of the transition, <laughs> and now it's just going on with life.
0: Right, right. And I know this is improper of me, but how old were you when on that date, October 26, 2011?
1: 62. Wow. 62 and I, you know, a lot of people ask me how could you have waited. Well, there was if you knew the 50s and the 60s. Uh, I mean, and, and if I may have the medical school uh, my psych rotation, I had um, uh, there had been a transsexual patient try to kill herself jumping mm-hmm. out of a window, and she was then on the psych service, uh, and the psychiatric resident I was working with said. It's too bad she didn't kill. He, it's too bad he didn't kill himself because he is really screwed up. So oh that was the teaching, my teaching, sixties and seventies, and it wasn't until mid eighties. So uh, it took me most of my life to feel like I wasn't disgusting. Um,
0: right. So. Nice. And I was wondering, did you find that you had more allies, or it sounds like you had more critics during your transition?
1: Well, prior to the transition, the whole world was a critic, uh, and uh, very few people knew about me at all. During the transition, what I did probably a year before I formally came out Mm -hmm. was I made it a practice to one person a day, uh, I would tell, of my plans. And, of course, I picked the easy people first, Mm -hmm. uh, and everybody was saying, great, we're happy for you. And then, then I started running out of people who I knew would be easy. Um, and um, and it started getting tougher. But I was building up a little confidence at that point. So mm-hmm. as I talked to people, it just became a little bit easier because I had the backing of friends. As far as critics, yeah, they existed. Um uh, I uh, uh, I won't go into what's, uh, some of the things they said. My my worst critic uh, was um, after I transitioned. I was working for Fort at Fort Polk uh, for the Army, and at a big meeting of three or four hundred people, uh, he got up and just blasted me uh, mm. theologically and socially, just very nasty things. He was the biggest critic. But at that point, I was getting to be okay with myself, so it it didn't matter. I really, fortunately, have not had huge critics face-to-face. My practice, however, did dwindle. Once I transitioned, people Mm. stopped coming to me. I had been very busy, very successful. Uh, But over uh, probably the next couple of years, my practice just died. Uh, oh, wow! I, I, I had to start borrowing money to pay my staff. and
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, So there were silent critics. Uh, right. just, just stopped coming. And, you know, as a, as a surgeon, you need people to keep walking in the door. True. Uh, and, true. and they stopped. That stopped.
0: Ugh, that's terrible. What was the decision to finally publicly uh, demonstrate and show your true self was that something that was based on internal factors or was it something that was more external?
1: I mean, the, the internal, um, was a lifelong, uh, dysthymia was one therapist told me or mm-hmm. depression. I mean, I, right. and, um, I just my wife had, like I said 2 years before I transitioned permanently she she said you you're miserable. I don't right. like being around you. Right. Um uh I you've got to do something. So mm-hmm. uh, I guess that was the external uh force. A therapist I saw back in the 80s and several other therapists I saw during that time all said this isn't going to go away. You've right. got to do it. So I had growing external support and, uh, the internal process, basically, I got to the point at, at some point I realized I can't keep doing this to myself. Mm-hmm. I had been suicidal several times, very close, very close once. Um, and I just didn't want to live like that anymore. Right. So I, that's, I guess that's the internal. Uh, the external biggest one was my wife, uh, mm-hmm. who, who just said, you're miserable. Get over it. Right, Do something. Right, and right. Uh, um, so, and as I told my kids and other co workers and got that external support,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: it gave me the ongoing support, ongoing courage to keep going.
0: Right, right. In researching your biography, I had fallen onto the report about your lawsuit, um, right. in which you had, my understanding is that you had almost 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 received a job offer you're in the contract literally about to sign the contract and when they had been informed that you were at that point fully transitioned they rescinded that offer can you just describe if my facts are accurate and kind of what that situation was
1: uh, actually your facts are not totally accurate i was <laughs> given an offer i had signed the contract oh, wow. we sold our house uh in massachusetts uh, based on that signed contract. Oh. And, um, I then, uh, said, you know, my wife and I talked about it a lot. I need to be honest with people. So mm-hmm. I've made another, this was, there was a, it was a job with a, and since we won the, the, the lawsuit, uh, actually it was a settlement. I can't reveal the name
0: right, right. of
1: the, however you can look it up. Put in my my name and it pops up, um, so I decided I would go to the hospital and say just for just so you know, mm-hmm. uh, I want you to know who's going to show up uh, uh, on that day, right? Um, and because that's I'm honest, and uh, so at that point, about two weeks later, I got a call saying, "Well, we've reconsidered." They made up a, quite a few lies about what I had said at the interview mm. even though I signed the contract after that interview wow. uh, and they were they blatantly lied and uh, so we sued it took five and a half years we finally settled and uh, um, we won and right. it's it has been uh, part of the national uh, effort to get transgender rights right. so I'm kind of proud about what I've Yes.
0: Yeah. Congratulations. Can you speak to the specific challenges you've encountered when applying for jobs? Was it just this kind of one instance or is it something that just keeps repeating itself?
1: It kept repeating itself. I never, what I did, uh, that, that really crushed me because right. we had sold our house and, right. uh, uh, I then, uh, I looked at over, I, I say it's over a hundred. My wife tells me it was only mid eighties. Uh, but I would, uh, you know, we all get constant, uh, emails about job openings mm-hmm. and, and, uh, various websites. And I was dealing with several recruiters,
2: mm-hmm. uh, who
1: would, uh, I'd get called, uh, or I would call somebody, uh, uh, an email and they would say, great. Yeah. Send us your resume. And, um, before I transitioned, I changed jobs twice over 30 years or so. Uh, each time I transitioned, each time I offered before I transitioned, each time I applied, I would get four or five job offers if I put in four or five applications.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Twice that happened. Um, after I transitioned, I put in 85 or 90 job job uh, applications and got zero. Um, wow. So... I do. I at sometimes I would just not tell them. Mm-hmm. Although my name uh, at that point, I legally changed my name, and I was living as a woman. So, and I think this these day and day and age, people uh, Google people or they, mm-hmm. and I'm there. I'm on the front page. So if anybody right. Google me, there I was. So I would apply for jobs. I was all uh, completely qualified for, mm-hmm. and be told, well either no, you don't, you don't meet our needs or, uh, well, we've stopped looking. And then a month later I'd see the same job posted somewhere else. So, right. uh, I got, I have to, I got pretty angry during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, one day, um, I'm trying to remember exactly how that happened. I got a, I got an email from, a, a, a company who was the contractor for the job at Fort Polk. So mm-hmm. uh, I, um, he called me up one day and, and uh, sort of out of the blue, he was fishing for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, something had just happened. I was kind of angry. And so he's telling me about the job and I said, look, I got to stop you. I'm transgender. If you can't handle that, hang up on me right now. I don't want to waste my time. And uh, he said, oh, geez, my brother used to be my sister. Um, oh, wow. I'll get you a job. It kind of uh, uh, so his so his brother was uh, well used to be a sister. So now that that's the good news. The bad news was it happened to be in an army base in rural Louisiana, uh, Fort Polk, which uh, uh, we went down for an interview, and it was I won't describe the place, but it was not what we were looking for.
2: Right. (laughs) However,
1: however, it was a job. Right. And uh, we said, well, we drove in town. We said, we, we can do anything for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up being there for four years. Oh, and wow. uh, uh, it turned out uh, I mean, the, the hospital chaplain, after I'd been there maybe six months, mm-hmm. uh, kind of came in the office and said, uh, yeah, I didn't want you to come. Uh, but <laughs> we are so happy you're here. Right. And various uh, during the four years I was there, probably half a dozen times, mm-hmm. soldiers would walk in. Uh, and say, can I talk to you? Um, mm-hmm. They shut the door and they were transgender and they just needed a friendly face.
2: Uh, right.
1: And uh, my PA, who was a, just a big old Southern guy, we were very friendly. He, after maybe six months, he came in my office and plopped down in my chair and said, you know, doc, I didn't want you to come. Uh, but, but you're just one of the guys now. Uh, I said, all right, we got to work on pronouns, but I'll take it. I will take it. Right. Uh, so it turned out to be excellent. Now it still wasn't our town. It w- wasn't what we where we wanted it to be, mm-hmm. but it was a good practice. Uh, uh, and then after I, I kept still kind of looking during that time, uh, and then well, I've been here two years. So probably after somewhere after three years or so this job offer in Gallup, New Mexico opened mm-hmm. up and we kind of wanted to see the Southwest. I've always been intrigued by Native American spirituality and culture. So right. uh, I was offered this job and and we took it. So we've been here two years and retirement is looming. So <laughs> we'll stay here till I retire.
0: Oh, Fantastic. Um, I would like to transition to um, something that's very pertinent in the transgender community. And what I remember most about my psychiatry rotation as a medical student and uh, credit to Dr. Alexis uh, Hines, who was my psych attending at the time, um, was that the transgender community experiences and lives with more mental health issues than the general population? And just for review for our listeners, it's estimated that almost half of transgender persons live with depression and anxiety. And I think the most saddening statistic is that 41% of transgender persons have attempted to die by suicide. Um, for those who are hearing the statistics for the first time, it's probably you're thinking it's not true and Uh, Dr. Fabian, I was hoping that you can talk about the mental health issues that those of the transgender community experience.
2: Sure.
1: When I, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, when I was in medical school, this was considered, I mean, I looked it up. This was considered a serious psychiatric condition by the psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about mental illness I feel like I need to correct that because this is not a mental illness right people who say this is a mental illness are doing it to be mean or because mm-hmm. they don't know uh, and it's now and I know this isn't what you asked but it's now pretty well thought by leading researchers to be either biochemical or anatomic the the studies show a very high rate of of uh, uh, in identical twins there's a high rate of one sibling also being transgender if the other right. is so there is some real good evidence that this is more biological endocrinological mm-hmm. so when we say mental illness well maybe i got that off my chest there <laughs> is a tremendous amount of of uh my wife who's a psychotherapist was calling it last night uh, reactive or adjustment disorders. Mm. So it's one thing to be have be schizophrenic or uh, bipolar because of biochemical disorders. Right. It's another to be depressed because you can't get a job, mm-hmm. or because uh, uh, you are constantly criticized or berated, or uh, we. So I I know I'm spending some time on this. I was depressed. I was uh, at one point back in the 70s during my residency, I, I bought the pills. I had a right. prescription of pills um, uh, to, uh, to take, because I just didn't think I could go on anymore.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's, I don't know if that's mental illness or just a reactive, I can't take this anymore. So right. mm-hmm. I, I don't know the, the terminology. Uh, I was close to suicide two other times because I just couldn't bear living with this, mm-hmm. uh, and not it just was it was getting more and more uh, important to live this way, without the ability to actually do it. I didn't right. think at that time. Um, so that forty one percent. When I read the statistics that sounds high. What, what are the statistics I read are? Yes. It's about 41% have either uh, they're either suicide. They could completed suicide. They have attempted suicide or they've had serious uh, suicidal ideation. Right. So it's, so uh, that serious suicide, I was there, I was very close. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so, but it's, it's not completed or attempted. There's also that, I can't do this anymore right. I, I better i wrote myself a prescription for the pills mm-hmm. so i be, i believe that that uh, those numbers
0: right right no that's it's it's just so saddening and you know in your experience and being a part of this community what do you think needs to happen in order to help those in the transgender community who are dealing with you know the adjustment disorder or the reactive disorder and other just pure <clears throat> depression
1: you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. I, to me, the most important thing is for others, and I'll say me, to be out there, to be visible and and vocal. And mm-hmm. uh, I was asked to give the uh, commencement speech to a uh, it was called the Lavender Group at my college, Women Mary, my alma mater,
2: oh, wow.
1: uh, which was this was just well, a year ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a group of 90 or so graduating seniors, GLPT, mm-hmm. um and hopefully them having a role model, although these kids were kids, they are college graduates, these <laughs> people were far more advanced and accepting of themselves than I was at that time. Right. But I, I think having people be willing to say, yes, I'm transgender, mm-hmm. If you don't like it, so what? And that's kind of where I am right now. We uh, again, my wife's book is an excellent resource. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I forgot your question, but (laughs) no worries, uh, no worries. I I I think what's important is to have for people to be more and more out. um, For for uh, I mean, I go. I see whatever number of people I see per day, and it, although we're, we're closed down right now, but mm-hmm. uh, this is me. And right. uh, um, so and I think also, I like to think that I'm a pretty good orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. And so people say, hey, Fabian did my surgery and it turned out pretty well. And oh, by the way, she's transgender. I think that helps right. um, just be in there. Right.
0: Fantastic. Uh, what is your advice to surgeons, both in the transgender or the LGBTQ plus community, as well as those that are not in that community who deal with mental health issues, whether that be anxiety, depression, just anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you have a serious uh, mental illness, you need a psychiatrist, you need medication that this is, and I already said this, but Mm -hmm. this is not that, Of uh, if, um, if you're depressed if if you're transgender and or you think you might be or and you're depressed or you're anxious there's a lot of help out there and mm-hmm. there's a lot of therapists who deal specifically with this um uh don't be afraid to get help uh, right. I, mean, I the first uh first psychiatrist i saw uh back in the 70s uh basically uh, it's a long story but i well, to, I, I got arrested for being cross-dressed. And there's a lot more to it than that and mm-hmm. thrown in jail. And uh, uh, I, uh, I knelt in front of the toilet because there was no running water. And I washed the makeup off my face. This was in 76. And uh, uh, that's when I uh, that dropped all charges because I hadn't done anything wrong except be right. cross-dressed. Uh, that's when I bought the pills. But I saw a psychiatrist. The next day or two days later, who said, whenever you feel like cross-dressing, kneel down and pretend you're washing your face with the water of the toilet, and that'll cure you. So Mm -hmm. that was psychiatry in 1976 at Dartmouth, at Dartmouth. Uh, So again, I forgot your question. Uh, (laughs) The most important thing I can tell you is you are not alone. You are not sick. Mm -hmm. You... Uh, There's a lot of us who are there, help, want to help to the uh, to the surgeons who are not transgender, Mm -hmm. get to know somebody who is transgender. Um, uh, There's I I know of two other uh, and there's almost certain there have to be more, but I know of two other transgender orthopedic surgeons. I have one pretty good friend who transitioned after she retired Mm-hmm. And she's very well known. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Queen Mother had surgery by a transgender. She had her hip replacement by a transgender surgeon oh, wow. in, in whatever whatever that was years ago. Mm-hmm. So we're out there, and right. uh, um, if if give me a call, uh, tra- <laughs> uh, uh, you know, don't just assume because I, I I said this to my wife last night when I was thinking about what to say. I don't wish to be known as that transgender surgeon who's an orthopedic surgeon, and right. yeah, she's a pretty good surgeon. i'd like to be known as that pretty good surgeon who, oh by the way, happens to be transgender right. so to to people who are in the beginning of the career, become an excellent orthopedic surgeon, mm-hmm. and then you know that you have fulfilled your your desire to be to be an orthopedic surgeon. And if you're then discriminated against, it's because they're idiots, as not because you're not a good surgeon.
0: Right. Ugh, fantastic. Thank you so much. I do want to talk about what I absolutely love about your story, and that you help to advocate for your community um, because of the fact that you're willing to share your story. And I was hoping you can describe for us how soon after you had publicly transitioned, did you start to then say, you know what, I should start telling my story?
1: Uh, It actually, I gave a service, uh, my wife and I gave a service six months before I transitioned at at the church we went to. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're Unitarian Universalists, so it was pretty easy. We're we're pretty easy on ourselves. Right. Uh, uh, I gave, I gave the service when I came out, the service, mm-hmm. I gave the, 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 uh, grand rounds. Uh, we have talked at 30 different, uh, venues, different medical schools, UMass and, uh, uh forget the other one. Um, we, uh, <laughs> and we do done a lot of churches. We've done mm-hmm. a lot of, we at the VA hospital. Uh, uh, we've, uh, I gave a talk to a, well, we've just given a lot of talks. And I, right. I started right away. Um, although it wasn't initially, I was initially, I was still trying to figure myself out.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: was, I get up in front of a group and look around and wait to be, have rotten eggs thrown at us. Cause I, I was so unaccepting of myself and it's, it's hard to describe,
2: mm-hmm. but
1: as I got more and more comfortable with myself, um, we have been just more and more out and, uh, uh, my wife's an excellent speaker. Uh, uh, so, uh, it's, it's sort of part of our lives and, uh, um, hopefully when I retire, we'll do a lot more of it.
0: Ah, Fantastic. Yeah. What do you think needs to happen in the field of orthopedic surgery in order to best support the transgender community?
1: I looked at that from two, two sides. Um, one is, uh, for the orthopedic surgeon, um, to for the orthopedic surgeon to learn more about it. Just call me, uh, email me, uh, uh, read my wife's book. There's a lot, you know, I can, I won't out anybody else, but, uh, there are, orth, there are o- other transgender surgeons get to know somebody, mm-hmm. um, for the, for the orthopedic surgeon taking care of patients, we don't bite. We have the same broken legs as anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Um, we um, uh, just get to, get to know somebody. Sit down and talk to your patient. Uh, I mean, I had, a, I had a patient, it's sort of the flip side of what you're asking, but I had a patient right after I transitioned who had his Marine Corps Vietnam hat on and uh, he needed I don't know hip replacement or something. And he said, yeah, thank you, doc. I had seen him before I transitioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, I don't know if, if I want you to do it cause you know, look at you. And I said, well, yeah, I get it. Uh, but, uh, just so you know, I was a Marine battalion surgeon for three years, uh, back in the seventies. And I, but I, so I kind of understand the Marine mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, he said, Oh, you were, uh, I said, yeah, okay. Scheduling. So right. that's, that's not at all what you asked, but it's a great story. Yeah, so. Um, uh, so for orthopedic surgeons trying to understand transgenderism, um, it's, we're out there, get to know somebody. If mm-hmm. you have a transgender patient, their legs break just the same as anybody else's. They want the same care as anybody else. Mm -hmm. uh they do treat them with the respect that you treat everybody else that's i guess it's that simple
0: yeah no so true so true and i know that we've talked a lot about your past but i was hoping we can talk about the future in terms of what are your future goals and projects that you're thinking about
1: well my retirement date is now circled although it's (laughs) it's a movable target uh I love, I still love orthopedics, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm still a good surgeon, right. although, although we haven't done any surgery here in a couple of months. So, right. uh, my hopeful goal is to get back doing surgery. Uh, I will, I'll either fully retire in about mm-hmm. eight months or hopefully I'll just cut back to one or two weeks a month. Um, right. Right. so I'd like to keep my hand in it, although I don't know, we'll see, right. uh, The, uh, after retirement, I don't know. Uh, The world is your oyster. Yeah. Before, well, back right after the Haiti earthquake, uh, um, I was on the ground with a group, uh, uh, four days after the earthquake and we were doing surgery in the fields and, Mm -hmm. uh, I loved it. I mean, I I made a total of three trips to Haiti right after that. I would love to do more of that, Mm um, uh. We have three brand new grandchildren. I oh, congratulations. One, thank you. They're uh-huh. uh, um, all under a year and a quarter. So, oh, wow. so hope to, hopefully I'll be able to see them again sometime. Right, right. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I don't know. I We may do a lot of speaking about this. Uh, mm-hmm. I may just put my feet up for a, while, a little while. And I
0: completely <laughs> support that. I know. What yeah. I love is actually you're one of the... Honestly, you're actually the first general, generalist orthopedic surgeon that I've met and in terms of actually um, interviewed. And I was wondering if you can talk about what it is that you love about being a general orthopedic surgeon.
1: It's changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, technically speaking, when I first got went into practice in 83, I was the only one who did arthroscopic surgery. Uh, oh, wow. So the four or five guys I work with sent me all the knee scopes, and mm-hmm. uh, now they got got in got it going fairly quickly. Um, so and I was pretty good at it. I was the only right. one who did ACLs for a while in the group. Oh, nice. Um, I then sort of self taught, but I also observed. I taught myself shoulder arthroscopy. Oh wow! I, I, uh, and I became the only one in the area who was doing shoulder scopes, hmm. and uh, so I have loved. Um, different focuses and learning new things. And uh, um, uh, then I sort of, when I went to, at some point I needed to start doing total joints again. So <laughs> I started, I scrubbed with my partners and got good at them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just really enjoyed um, the various parts of orthopedics. Um I mean, now here at the Indian Medical Center, we're not doing, total, well, right now we're not doing anything, but right. uh, I'm fighting to, with administration because we don't even have a fracture table. Oh, uh, no. So we can't do simple right. uh, uh Hopefully I'm going to make that change pretty quick. Uh, I, I mean, I I'm, I don't think I could do one thing too much of it. I really mm-hmm. enjoy everything. It also gives me an out when I say, boy, that's too difficult. I'm going to send you on, which <laughs> I do. I mean, yeah. there's no question. That it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, have, I have just loved orthopedics. It's been a good career for me.
0: Oh, fantastic. Dr. Fabian, my last question for you is what, in general, what advice do you have for surgeons and surgeons in training?
1: Who. <sighs> um, Study hard for surgeons in training um, regarding uh, uh, transgender people or just in general. Everybody. Everybody. Make sure you love what you do because if you love what you do, the night call won't be so bad. Right. Uh, you will enjoy getting up and going into the OR and yeah. uh, and learn. I mean, become excellent. Uh, right. If you're not already excellent, become excellent that's for the students for the surgeons in practice you know if i this is not what you're asking although it is um one of the things i'm discovering as i get close to retirement is is dealing with who am i now for most of my life i have been an orthopedic surgeon and it's not it's not just i practice orthopedics I am an orthopedic surgeon. That's my identity. Right. And and so as I approach retirement, I'm struggling with that because that's who I am. And I won't be that forever. So for people in practice, hopefully you already are doing this. But be somebody besides an orthopedic surgeon. Be a great dad or a great mom or a great a, a wonderful fly fishermen or whatever it is have other interests because when retirement comes around you're not an orthopedic surgeon
2: anymore
0: yeah fantastic dr fabian thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today i have sincerely enjoyed this and i sincerely appreciate you telling your story to everybody
1: my pleasure my pleasure
0: Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the RJOS Podcast with Dr. Deborah Fabian. Please subscribe to our podcast to show your support. I would like to take this time to thank my lead editor and co-producer, Andrea Munger, without whom this podcast would not be possible. I would also like to thank the RJOS for allowing me to partner with them to share these stories. Thank you so much for listening and please stay safe.